appreciate the end of that video. It says it's so important that we know what we believe. Um, I don't know if you're here today and you've maybe said, hey, it's been a little challenging as we've begun this uh, you know, part of the series. Perhaps that's you, and I just want to say just you know, keep holding on. Keep holding on. You know, we're living on a prayer, like the one song says. We're living on a prayer. We're living on the grace uh, and mercy of God. And so uh, I am looking forward to this next uh, part. At first, I want to ask you a question. How many of you see yourselves as a spiritual leader? A spiritual leader. Do you see yourselves as a spiritual leader? Do you see yourself as one who gives, you know, mentorship to others? You know, whether you serve in a church capacity or even at home, people are always watching. People see how you live, how you interact with people, you know, even how you think. And I have to tell you, as, you know, in leading this, you know, I've been part of pastoral ministry, different teams and places of different sizes, shapes, and expressions. Uh, but when you step into a role like this, you, you see the other side of things. You know, things even mentors in conversations over the years would say like, hey, th- down the road you might face some of these challenges, but you're prepared for the challenges. But at the same time, there's sometimes you won't be fully ready, and all you can do is trust in the grace and mercy of God as you look to his word. And that's something I have to tell you, even as we've been going through this part of uh, Scripture and Jesus' teaching, is that when we truly are introspective and look to the Word and say, okay, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Give me fresh eyes, if you will, to see what you want me to see, to hear what you want me to hear, and prompt me in how you want me to move forward. And this is something, as Meg and I talk together, even in our own relationship, we've you know, dispelled some um, different outlooks in this regard. And so that's why I asked you that question, do you see yourself as a spiritual leader? Because whether you notice it or not, someone's always following. You're blazing a trail. You're blazing a trail, and people are, in some ways, following in your footsteps. And so this is something that's been immensely stretching me. And so let me ask you a follow-up question. Based on where you're going, that path you're taking, the, the dreams and things that are in your heart, would you say, come for the ride, Jesus? Hop on in. And the reason why I ask you that question is that is something that I'm now going to, going forward, to guide what I do. Because if I'm willing to say, hop on in, Jesus, it's probably a good thing. But if I'm like, you know what, I think I'm going to go solo for this, you know, drive. What would Jesus do? It's one of those things when I was in youth group, um, our pastor, Pastor Dave, would always say, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And you had those little bracelets. Anyone have those? WWJD, right? And in some ways, it kind of became this corny thing. I don't know why, but really it's an excellent reminder. What would Jesus do? It's awesome. And so as we go through this part of Matthew 5, we can see in many respects what Jesus would do. So as we do that, keep this part of Scripture in mind. Psalm 139, verse 7, it ties and goes hand in hand with that song that we sang, I Stand in Your Love. David, the psalmist who we know went through heartbreak, went through struggle, went through temptation, he says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
Oh God, no matter where I go, you are there. You are with me. You are before me. And so I appreciate that passage as we get going here because in him there's this reassuring peace, this reassuring hope, and also accountability. How many of you like accountability? You remember when the church started to say, who's your accountability partner? That was probably a tough one to hear, like, accountability partner. Who needs an accountability partner? Maybe in many respects we do. But we know we have the Holy Spirit that, that teaches us and is with us. And so as we look to this part of the scripture, I really believe, I believe, I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to tug on our heartstrings a little bit today. And so let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. In many respects, we're putting on the game helmet. We're getting in the game. We're going to see as this passage of scripture speaks to us. And first, I want to offer a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that every day as we turn, as we read through your teachings, your promptings, Lord, that you reach into our life here and now. Father, I ask that today would be a new day for each of us in attendance, even those who are not here and watching this at whatever time they watch it. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that you bring us up out of the miry clay. You bring us even out from pits. You restore us and put us on solid ground. And we know within you we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Lead us in your way, God, as we look to your word. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you were so honest and truthful, that you were grace and truth, declaring the very kingdom of God to us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a dawn of a new day. I heard this, um, before I get into this, i got to share this. There was this joke I heard the other day. And I'm not a comedian. We know that. That's, my, that's not my job description. But I'm going to give it a shot anyway. And so, you know, a lot of people recently were celebrating anniversaries. And um, I saw this here on social media. There's this uh, lady, and she's up in her bed, and it's late at night. And she wakes up for whatever reason. She looks over, and she sees, oh, my husband's not there. Hmm. That's a little odd, a little different. Some of you might be saying, no, my husband, like, he sleeps on the couch. I don't know. But here in this, this story is the, the husband's not there. And so she walks down to the kitchen and, you know, looks around. And, and there he is. And would you believe it? He's having a cup of coffee. And so while he's having this cup of coffee, she's like, honey, like, what's going on? And he says, well, I'm, I'm enjoying this cup of coffee, just, you know, reminiscing and, and thinking. And, you know, today is 20 years since you and I first got together. And of course she's like, oh my goodness, honey, I can't believe it. I forgot, like 20 years? Oh yeah, it's been 20 years. He goes, yeah, you remember when your father came to me and I was really surprised, he pointed a shotgun at me and he said, you know, either marry my daughter or go to prison. She said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And he goes, yeah, well, I just realized that today would, be, would have been the day I got out. Oh, a little bit of humor. I say that to say this as we look to this passage. Fight the urge to look for an escape. Fight the urge to look for an escape clause. Even though it might seem like it's there and for the taking. Fight that urge. And so right in uh, Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. 
But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual morality, causes her to commit idolatry. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits idolatry. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I don't tell you, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. I've been pouring over this passage like you wouldn't believe, as many of you probably in your own devotion times going through and even referencing many different commentaries. I've said it before, it's not something I typically like to do. I like to, you know, close the door, if you will, and look at Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the very intention of what is taught and what is spoken without needing to lean on another for that interpretation. And when you look at this, yet many of them are in agreement on these points that Jesus here, as we know, calls us to a life of ministry, of fruitfulness. And if he's calling us to a life of ministry and fruitfulness, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we live in him and through him matters. It's like that aroma that we've talked about, that pleasing aroma to God. Intentionality is everything. He says here in in verses 29 through 30, he's not looking, as we've looked at before, he's not looking for all of us to walk around, you know, with limps and missing limbs. It's all about, you know, making the effort, being intentional in everything. The intent is to glorify him. And I have to admit, as I was looking at some of these other scholars, some of the repeating points were, we're to glorify God. And I said, isn't this great? I pulled from all these different scholars from all across, from Baptist, Pentecostal, you name it. One of the recurring things was no matter how we look at this, no matter how we address this and apply it, our goal should always be to glorify God. And I thought, well, praise the Lord, because that's where I'm coming from. And that's where you're coming from. And so Jesus shows us, hey, lustful intent can have ramifications, so safeguard yourselves. Do what's necessary. We can combat this vice. Even the Apostle Paul affirms this in 1 Corinthians 6. In verse 12, he says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So without feeling shame or, or that on getting stuck on the body is not for sexuality, sexual immorality, we can look at, well, our, our body is for the Lord. Our bodies are to glorify the Lord. Awesome. 
And we look at verse 18, he says, flee sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know, and this is a great reminder, no matter of whatever topic we're looking at, it covers everything. Don't you know, Andrew, don't you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. Remember, it's not a spirit of the world. It's not a spirit of what's popular and what's current. It's spirit of the Lord. You are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. And Debbie, I thought, isn't that wonderful? Right here, the Apostle Paul is affirming the main point. Don't get down in despair, even if there's been a misstep, but focus on the end piece here. Glorify God now. Wherever you are, now. And this is something that I'm trying to commit myself to as not only a believer, but a, a pastor. Okay, no matter what's happened in people's lives, let's look at the here and the now. Yeah, we can talk and be truthful about things, you know, maybe missteps from the past, but here in the now is what matters. Here in the now, glorifying God is what matters. And the reason why I mentioned those passages is because remember, Apostle Paul was taught by Jesus Christ himself. Keep that in the back of your mind. He was taught by Christ himself. And so Jesus in Matthew 5, he's recorded as talking about this wholeness, this marital wholeness that is found when two become one. And that this marital faithfulness glorifies God. And so the title for today is Intentionality matters. Intentionality matters. Philippians 4 verse 8 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. And so as we continue on and looking at this next piece in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual morality, causes her to commit idolatry. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits idolatry. And so I just want to say again for a moment, buckle in, do not jump out of the coaster yet, okay? Do not leave yet. Don't head for the doors. Don't hit the stop button on YouTube, whatever it is. Just keep on listening. You know, this is something I'm looking at it purely from a place of looking through Scripture from a shepherd perspective, And as you go through the New Testament, there's many parts of the scripture that speak to this issue. And one of the things that we're taught in Bible school is any part of the word that you look to, find its counterpart. The verification and other, one to two other parts of scripture. Now what's interesting note, to get out there before I forget to say it, in John chapter 3, there is nothing like John chapter 3. And anywhere else in scripture. There might be some similarities but nothing word for word, the for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son part. And so with that in mind, keep that as a, you know, tucked away to realize that as we look to a few other passages, 
There might be subtle word changes, but you're gonna, I believe you're going to get this picture that Jesus is, is showing us the intended design of the Father. And I have to tell you, I was stretched in this. I can even uh, tell you now that I look back at it, there was a point in my young ministry when I had a young person say to me, you know, Pastor Andrew, my, um, my, my spouse, who was a believer, um, wants to leave, and, you know, should I let them leave? And me being young and immature and naive to the word of God, remember the passage of scripture where the apostle Paul says, if your unbelieving spouse wants to leave, well, let them leave and you're not committing adultery. Well, if you look at the context of that, she clearly was saying he was a believer. And so if he was a believer, that he should remain and they should seek reconciliation. So I say that to say, this is very stretching. It's not meant to bring condemnation, it's meant to strengthen us in the truth of the Lord. And so let's go to Luke chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, for a moment. And as we get into these other passages, Tony, as we look to these parts, let's remember Jesus is not our nemesis. Jesus is not our nemesis. He's not out to get us. That's why I deeply appreciate the song that we, all the songs we sang today, I stand in your love. His love remains for us. His mercy is new every day. You are forgiven. You are the child of God. But it's Satan who wants to break up our marriages. It's Satan who wants to break those relationships. And so Luke 16, verse 16, it says this, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Mark chapter 10, verse 2 to 12. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he replied to them, What did Moses command you? Don't forget this part. What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So here we've looked at two uh, parts of the gospel. We've looked at Mark, and we've looked at Luke. We've read from Matthew, and, and the brief part in Matthew chapter 5, the wording in Matthew is found nowhere else in all of Scripture. I have to admit, when I was looking at this originally, I was like, well, that's interesting. Why is that? And as we continue to answer that question, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, because we're, we're looking at how Paul is addressing the believers in Corinth. The believers in Corinth were... You know, they were fervent for the Lord. 
and the gospel, but they were mixing a lot of things together. They were mixing their other practices of faith and belief in other gods and intertwining it with Christianity. In many respects, I don't know if you knew this, but many of them were practicing um, in non-appropriate sexual ways and saying, well, this glorifies God because of his grace for me. And so Paul's addressing this in many uh, matters because he, he wants them to not misunderstand this grace of the Lord. And so he writes in 1 Corinthians 7.10, to the married I give this command. And I really appreciate the way that Jesus and Paul both write because you can put yourself in the story. Now we're not like narcissist Jesus people. We're not just making everything about us, but this part of scripture still applies to us, especially if you're married or contemplating marriage. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. Look at all the things that Paul's saying here. He's saying, I, not I, but the Lord. And then he switches to not the Lord, but I. And he gives some practical um, applications. But he's emphasizing, saying, don't, don't lose heart. Don't, don't, don't give in. Realize that you can, you can save your spouse. Don't be quick to look for the escape hatch. Look at verse 16. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord has assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not, uh, he should not undo that. Was anyone called while circumcised or uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. And where I want to park before we go to the next passage is Paul is saying, look, no matter where you're coming from, these are the teachings of the Lord. He's added some practical aspects of, you know, um, tagging along with what Jesus had commanded, but he's emphasizing not the Lord is telling you these additional things, I am for practicality reasons. But I really appreciate what he's saying here in verse 17. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. Now there were those who didn't know the Lord when they came to relationship with him. Or they were already in a, you know, a bond with someone. Most assuredly, he's not saying, well, because you're a believer, you're supposed to not. Well, you better get out of that situation and find another believer. Well, that's totally against the point. Live with one another in the situation God has called you to 
Where I want to bring this through to today as we continue to look at passages is wherever God has called us, live in it today. When we look at it as truths, we could park in a place and be like either this is really tough and I don't want to get behind this, or this is really tough, I'm heading for the door, or we could say this is tough but it's speaking to my heart. I believe it is truth as Jesus is grace and truth and here and now, this day forward, I want to walk in his truth. And I stand before you today truthfully, and you could say, well, it's easy to say it, then do it. But I said to my wife, I said, for in order for me to preach this, I would have to be saying, commit, I would walk in this. If Megan and I came to a termination, a permanent separation of our marriage, I would endeavor to live by this. This Because this is uh, Paul being taught by Christ, but also our very Lord telling us and encouraging us how to walk before him. So it's totally contrary to some of the messages out there. You turn on the the TV or YouTube, and it's all like just hokey-dory, wonderful, and just fantastic. There's never any hardships. But Paul and even Christ call us to endurance. And so this is something that I'm learning in my young life, something I'm learning in my, my young life as a leader, a spiritual leader, as a mentor, blazing a path. What kind of path do even I want to lead? Do you understand what I'm saying? I want to follow as you do. I want to, we want to follow in the steps of Jesus. And as we go to Matthew 19, we can see that, you know, all these parts that are recorded in Scripture of Jesus' teaching and the Apostle Paul, they're really essentially showing us glorify God. And you glorify God within the place that you've been called. Honor that bond and glorify God in it. And so let's go to Matthew 19 just for a few moments because Matthew, again, is the only writer that uses those words. So I want to bring this thing full circle and I want to be fair to the other side of the coin, if you will. Matthew 19, 1, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judah across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. Just for a brief moment, just stop there for a sec. Test him. Didn't Jesus say in this world you'll have trouble? You'll be tested? If they hate you, remember they hated me first? All this, all this plays into it, the stances that you take. So they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? And Jesus says, haven't you read? that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So we we know what he shared in Matthew 5, and now we have what he's sharing in Matthew 19. He's emphasizing this design plan, the intention of the Lord, of of Yahweh, when I say Lord, Yahweh, God, his plan for marriage. And he's referencing Genesis 127. So God, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. 
Genesis 2.24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. So you have to love how scripture is tying together. It's not like everything was written long ago is just put away and destroyed and burned up. Jesus is affirming and he's fulfilling the very word of the Lord. Now here's the next part because you're saying, okay, but get to the next part. Here we go. Verse 7. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits idolatry. So wait a second. Here he's referencing that it appears that there is uh, an exemption. There's a clause. Is the focus the exemption or is the focus the design? He's saying this happens because Moses permitted this because you needed a concession because of the hardness of your hearts. And look what happens in verse 10. He says to his disciples, or the disciples said to him, sorry, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. You could imagine, they're in the crowd hearing this thinking, you know what? I'm just swearing the whole thing off. Actually, I should correct myself. It says, do not swear by anything. See, I just corrected myself. The word of the Lord, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm just not going to get in it. I, you know, Isaiah could say, you know what? This, is, this just sounds too tough. I'm just going to keep going. Keep on keeping on just me and myself. Well, then Jesus speaks to that crowd also, where there's pressures in the world where people feel like, I have to get married. By age 26, you know, I got to find the one. And then I, we get married, or I have my career, but I, we get married and we have children. Well, then he goes on to say, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven the one who is able to accept it should accept it. So he's covering so many different aspects. He's saying, this is how it's been from the very beginning. Don't misunderstand me. This is what God designed between a male and a female. It's a wonderful union. It's a bond. But for some, you may not be able to get behind this. You may not be able to go with this. And so a concession, yes, was given in the law that Moses is referring to. But he also says to that crowd who says, you know what, I just want to serve the Lord and, and not even get married. He's saying, that's good too. Because at that time, I didn't know this as I was looking at some uh, biblical historians, at that time, it was very unusual, extremely unusual for there to be a single man or woman, especially at that time. The women were dependent upon the men for support, many support reasons. And so for a man like Jesus to say, hey, and to those of you, you know, contemplating marriage, is it for me? It's okay if you don't get married. And they're probably thinking, what? <laughs> you know, the word says to be fruitful and multiply. How dare you? Now, it's not mentioned here, but maybe that was a conversation. Who knows? But he says again in verse 11, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to who it was given. So as he's speaking, as he's sharing, 
He's encouraging them. He's, he's challenging their outlooks. But he's referencing specifically Deuteronomy chapter 24. And you could be saying, well, what's going on here? What's this concession? Where exactly can we find this? And as we turn to Deuteronomy 24, I want to make this point. This is something that has tremendously helped me in this regard. As I've wholeheartedly tried to get behind this concession, this escape clause, if you will. Would Jesus intentionally lead us in a way that's less than his perfect design? Would he intentionally lead us in something that's contrary to his design? That's something for you to decide. And so as we go to Deuteronomy 24, it says this, so now you can say, well, when Jesus references the divorce papers, this is where it's found. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from the house. If after leaving his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the second man hates her, writes her a divorce certificate, and hands it to her, and sends her away from his house, or if he dies... The first husband who sent her away may not marry her again after she has become defiled because that would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt on the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So there's two things happening here. There's a double restriction. There's a certificate. You can't just go out on a whim and, and leave your spouse for any reason. You know, uh, back in the day, the joke was always, you know, if men leave the seat up, you can't leave your spouse because you leave the seat up. He's also saying here, really, to prohibit against hasty divorce, because in some cases, just like then and now, maybe it was in the, the haste of emotions. You know what, I can't stand you anymore, and I'm out of here. And you, you know, you shut the door, and you, oh, you see someone, and you, you get to know each other, and you hastily get involved. Only fools rush in, as the song would go. And then you realize, oh my goodness, what have I done? Here, this is why the concession is. Could you imagine this perpetual cycle? God's initial design was be bonded together, male and female, one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, it would, it would cease all these other potential ramifications. But here, many have embraced, you know, walking in adultery and other things, and it's become this perpetual web, if you will. And so this concession is given to say, well, it's not a good thing to continue breaking up and returning, breaking up and returning. It's not healthy. So you might be here and think, okay, that's great. I understand where the concession is, where it comes from. It's a, it's a means to an end to help regulate this perpetualness. Okay, so what about that specific mention of Jesus, except for... Perhaps it's something, as referenced in 24, something indecent. What could that be? Is something indecent marital unfaithfulness in all of its color? And what I appreciate here, and I, I was looking at uh, a few scholars, and D.A. Carson had mentioned that here this is important to note that no matter how you spin this, no matter how you look at it, marital unfaithfulness, the word pornea, is the same word as, and I'm going to get it wrong, so please forgive me, morkei, 
which speaks of um, uh, divorce, of intentful lust. He's saying those two are essentially the same. They mean the same thing because it's marital unfaithfulness. And he says, even back in the day when this was being written, rabbis were teaching, hey, you can leave your spouse for any good reason. You just need a reason. And then you write that letter and you're free to go. Jesus is emphasizing the importance of not acting like that. Just on a whim. Could you imagine? Oh my goodness, could you imagine? There's things that I do, my wife just goes, what? Could you imagine I get home and if it, the power was in her hands, she could just, here you go. At that time, there was no courts. There was no appeals process. Women, you were out of luck. Can you believe that? You were completely out of luck. There was nothing that you could do. If the man wrote that letter of divorce, it was done. Do you really think that's what God intended? No. There was this means they'll put in because God loves us so much. His mercy endures forever. He put in this means to an end, but then Jesus arrives on scene. He would take away all our sin, including the punishment for all of these penalties, if you will. We know the story in John chapter 8 with the adulterous woman. He stands to her and says, woman, is there anyone left to condemn you? She says, no, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus takes that sentence of death, and so now we can look at this with a gaze of completely looking for what is holy and honorable. And as we look at this part, the sanctity of marriage, where Jesus is emphasizing, except in the case of sexual morality, if you're here today and you say, hey, this concession, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I appreciate the, the grace and mercy God. I'm going to walk in it. Well, like Paul's saying, everything is permissible for you. Even though Mark and Luke did not mention this escape clause, that's for you in your heart to decide, I'm going to walk in that grace. But the question I have for you here today is this. In what ways does this escape hatch glorify God? Aside from that grace that you're here today, you're here today, maybe even in the, your second marriage, we have good friends, good friends, you know, I don't have to mention it, but you know who you are. You're in, this, you're in the, you know, the, the, the years of your life, the best years of your life, and this grace applies to you. And so going forward, would you be able to step into place and to say, as I'm being challenged here today, if I was in your shoes, would you be able to say, I believe that the Lord's teaching on this is his design, and I want to honor his design this day forward. I want to teach his design. So when a young person or those contemplating marriage, we don't say, run for the hills. You, you don't want to get involved in this. It's crazy. Rather say it's a, it's a beautiful thing. You know, we're, 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 there's things that we do because we're flesh and blood. We're fallen. And, uh, you know, you're going to need to rely on the strength and the, the peace of God to be with you in it all. But I just encourage you, don't look for the exits. Don't look for the, the escape hatch. But press in. And so what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You know, I originally had, I have it written right here. I had a bunch of these other articles and notes of different men and women who have written on this part of Scripture, I mean exhaustively. And it's, it's unbelievable. And the positions that people take, and I'm like, I don't even know where they get this stuff other than looking at it just with an open heart, 
to see here that Jesus emphasizes, hey, this is the design that the two become one flesh and what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. I know it's a, it's a tough part of scripture to look at. I made this promise when we began the church plant from day one. It was, we are going to walk through the entire word. We're not gonna deviate from areas that scare us. We're not gonna deviate from areas that maybe are a little bit controversial at times. But to bring it full circle, I just, I humbly submit to you today, this afternoon, that the whole goal of what Jesus is teaching us, what's accounted in the other gospels, even what the apostle Paul shares, it's all about glorifying God with our very lives. And so it's not here today to look around and be like, okay, you know, how many people are in these shoes? No, it's not about that. It's about just glorifying God this day forward. We can rest in his grace. We can rest in his mercy. Yes, there's concessions in the law that allows you to walk in a decision if you're saying, hey, it's just reconciliation is impossible and there's, there's nothing more that I can do. Well, that's between you and the Lord and there's grace for you, there's mercy for you and there is a tomorrow. There's a future for you here in the now to wherever you've been called as you receive this message. Please don't harden your heart. Please don't harden your heart to me. This day forward, as you look to this, embrace the teaching of the word. Embrace Christ who's calling and wants you to blaze a path forever. Could you just imagine if the church as a whole, forget about different expressions of the faith, just for a moment, if the whole church could teach on this aspect of union and being faithful in union, we may very well have had much fewer separations, much fewer fractures of family dynamics with you know, children and parents and such. We know the harm that it can cause, and, and I'm not here preaching about those things, but just to say he's calling us to a better way, he's calling us to a more excellent way to glorify God in all faithfulness. And so as the worship team plays, I want to leave this part of Scripture with you. In 1 John 5, 19, verse 20, I believe we've looked at this before. It says, we know that we are of God. And the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John 8, 38 says, I speak, this is Jesus, I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. So then, you do what you have heard from your Father. We hear different voices. We hear even pop culture and you know what's acceptable and what's popular and what's maybe even loving. At the end of the day, God loves you so much. He doesn't condemn you for the actions that committed in the, in the rightful justice that would follow. But he says, you don't have to worry about that. I've taken that to the cross. I nailed it at the cross at Calvary. It's been taken care of. It's been atoned for. It's been judged. So now his anger and of righteous indignation against that has been removed. And now it's his prompting of his Holy Spirit saying, because you're right in me, because you're righteous, walk in my righteousness. I ascribe to you my righteousness. You can do it.
Before the path was impossible, but now the impossible is possible. And so I'm thankful because it speaks to my own life, my own relationship, that I'm only um, 11 years into my own marriage. I am so thankful for this promise of the word that we can make it. We can go for the long haul. We can go for the long stretch, if you will, because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his power. And I appreciate each of you here. Each of you have shared your stories. Each of you have said, hey, you know what? I'm standing behind the word of God, and I want to encourage others to do the same. I affirm you. I appreciate you. And I know that our Heavenly Father loves you and it affirms the prompting that you're you know going with in your heart and so as worship team plays i'm gonna pray close this thing out so i stop talking um but let's just uh, bow our head in a word of prayer just for a few moments heavenly father i thank you uh for your word lord i gotta admit it's challenging it's challenging when you get to this part of scripture and you know even as you write yeah to communicate as excellently as you can. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit teaches each of us. Lord, I ask for each person here this afternoon that you would prompt their heart in in many areas. Lord, you would affirm your, your peace and your grace in their life. Lord, you would lead them in the way of everlasting. Lord, those areas of marital faithfulness and faithfulness in relationships as a whole, I ask you, Lord, you would strengthen us. You would gird us for action. You would gird our minds to think of what is true and honorable and pleasing according to you. That our feet and our lips and our actions would follow suit of that prayer. Lord, we thank you for the promise in Romans 8 that as we pray, as we intercede with your spirit, intercedes with us, that we know that we are operating in your perfect will. That even when we don't know what to say, that your spirit prays on our behalf and teaches us your ways. As you form us into your image, you reform us into your image and likeness. We know where we would be without your grace lift you up in our lives every misstep we thank you that we're still found in you as we lift you up Lord we thank you for the promise of your word that you will draw all people to yourself Lord may we be the salt of the earth as you've described may we be the light as you've described as we follow in your truth as we follow in your ways in Jesus name in Jesus name is just wonderful so we lift you high forever lift you high high within our hearts high within our minds and jesus you alone our rock and our cornerstone we lift you high in our hearts so you can join with me here and we'll sing this you can stand with me now if you like and let's worship the lord together Yes. Mm-hmm. 
You 